everybody. Welcome back to the Punk Till I Die podcast, episode number 89. You know, Neil, 1989 was one of my favorite years ever. 89, that was the year I moved up from up to Chicago from Champaign, actually. Okay. Yeah. It's good for you too. See, I, I, it was the year I turned 16. I moved back to Michigan from Wisconsin. Let's just say that it was a year full of firsts. <laughs> there you for go. A, Why not? Yes. Young, you know, for a young man, you know, exploring the world around him. Wow, it's like a Hallmark movie or something. Exactly. Well, a lot of it wasn't wasn't very Hallmark esque, but some of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, how's how's life how's life in the Greater Chicago area? Uh, winter hit right. It did for you as well. I mean, we'd been having kind of a quiet December, but man, uh, the end of January and early February has been a bitch so far. We had a we had a big snowfall the other night. We had over ten inches, so that was that nice. was no good. January yeah. was nothing here. Not. I mean, it's. I, I hate February. I got to say, February is my least favorite month. And before you say it, no, it's not because it's Black History Month. <laughs> you knew where I was it's going. You know me too well. It's because you've got two months of win- Usually, you're two months into winter, and you're just so beat down. So we haven't had hardly any winter. Meanwhile, we're one week into February, and I already feel so beat down. I'm sure it hasn't. I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that like the last year has been, you know, among the most trying of my life. So. Yeah, anyway. I mean, yeah, it's been, I mean, we got a lot of snow, you got a lot of snow. It's just, because it's, like I said, it's been easy so far. It's been a pretty easy winter so far, but February has been a bitch. And now it's freezing cold as it, normal. It's all through March. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. You know, the way it has a way of correcting, the weather has a way of correcting itself. It's funny, you know, during the summer, a lot of times I'll have to close my window while I'm up here podcasting in my Pillow Fortress of Solitude because somebody will be mowing their lawn. Now I can hear some rat bastard out there snowblower. Snow yeah. Yeah. I always like it when but, the snow when someone starts snow blowing at six AM. That's always fun. Yeah. Trying to get their car out or whatever. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's uh it's okay. My my, my son is uh starting to will have his first wrestling meet next Saturday. Oh cool. So that will alleviate some of the tension around here with him and they're allowing each athlete to have two spectators. So mom and I will be able to go to his matches, which they were originally weren't gonna allow any spectators in. So hmm. So my wife loves being a sports mom, loves it. Me, I, I enjoy it, but I also sort of, the time commitment to me is more of a hassle. Like to her, it's just like she throws herself into it. But yeah, so the next two months worth of Saturdays, we will likely be sitting in gyms somewhere on uncomfortable bleachers. So see the wrestling thing confuses me. Cause I, cause I've met your kid obviously. And, uh, man, he's skinny. You know, he's not yeah. like, he's not like super must like you'd imagine a wrestler to be stocky and muscular or something. No, he's not. He's built like a swimmer. He's yeah, in good shape. Exactly. He's, I mean, and he's got muscles. He's just skinny. Sure. Um, but yeah, he, uh, I don't think he's going to win a state championship, but he's surprisingly competitive. He yeah, wrestled I mean, as a sophomore, he was a full-time varsity starter last year and this year i think he tends to win quite a few more than he lost last year it was like a constant battle to get over 500 i think he ended up one match over 500 at the end of the year yeah so um, i mean anyway. i know he's i know he's a tennis player and he looks like yeah. a tennis player or a swimmer yeah. you're right he's uh he's yeah. tall and athletic so it's you know? a weird, weird combination of sports but it's good for him because wrestling is super hard work like they work your they kill you in practice so it gives you very little time to mope and <laughs> no shit yeah so now, so anyway. okay, one, one, one question about that, though. So with it being as physical as it is, does he have to wear a mask when he wrestles? Okay, they're not going to make him wear a mask, but okay. I think they're going to test him three times a week or something. Okay, wow. Okay. My, is, my son has been exposed to this so much, supposedly, that he just kind of constantly tests positive. But if you test positive on, like, the cheapo test, then they send you for a... A real one, yeah. If you get it, you can test positive for up to, like, eight months after you... 
lost your symptoms or something? I, I don't know, Neil. I don't well, know. Well, with that cheap rapid test, it's incredibly inaccurate, right? So <laughs> even, even the ones that the doctor were given, they were saying were 70%. I don't know, man. This is trauma. We're 70% sure you're pregnant. <laughs> yeah, it's so, going to be a surprise to everybody. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, so you you were talking. So, and, and I hope this doesn't doesn't bother you that we that I mentioned this. But you you had gotten the first. You got the first phase of the shot, right? The the I did. I, yeah, I got my first vaccine on Wednesday Wednesday any, evening. Yeah. Any negative side effects, or was it a piece of cake? Uh, my arm hurt like a bitch for a couple of days. Um, okay. But apart from that, it was. But apart from that, it was fine. I think the second part is supposed to be the real the nasty one. And I did have yeah. one guy one guy I work with. See, because of the nature of my job, we are all have it available to us of the nine of us one guy went to get it and uh he said uh it did not make him feel good and his wife i guess got real almost like real whacked out on i think the second part yeah the second one supposedly stronger especially the moderna one i don't know about the pfizer one which is what i got um so mm. we'll see i go back in three weeks to get, okay. to get my second one was that was the one i thought the pfizer was the one one dose thing no pfizer's two i think the, i think both pfizer and moderna are two I thought there was one. I swear there was one that was only one, wasn't it? Well, there? there is. There's a third one, but uh, AstraZeneca maybe. Um, but yeah, I got. Wait, look I got look at the big brain on Neil. Well, you know, I work in pharmaceuticals, I, I, so I should I should know more than I do. But funny, I, I swear I read something like in the Soviet Union, now the now free in air quotes Soviet Union, they like tried to they were like mixing them together to make it into one dose. Did you see that? No, I did. I didn't. But that makes sense, right? They got the super vaccine. <laughs> Well, you know, they have millions of people that, you know, if there's one thing they're not afraid of, it's killing a few million for progress. So <laughs> anyway, anyway, well, good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it's uh, that it, you didn't really have neg negative effects. I'm not in any hurry to do it. I doubt I'll do it this year. But now, like I said, but next year rolls around and I'm still not able to fly or go to a concert or something. I probably will think about breaking down and doing it, but we'll see. Talking of concerts, did you see? Uh, well, I know you saw it because I sent it to you. The uh, fest lineup for this year just came out. It, I guess, yeah. It's not geared towards us, huh? Not geared towards us at all. I mean, I still might. Get, well, Mar as you know, uh, for a good friend, yeah, Mark, he invited us both down there. So the lineup, honestly, is almost a non a non starter for me. I almost don't care. Not not a non starter. It's almost like a non. Uh, it doesn't matter to me, really. Right. I'd be to do it just for the experience to say I did it once. It's yeah. it's a it's kind of a tricky weekend for me, and I, I don't know that I'll be able to do it, but I'm not ruling it out either. Oh, because it's Halloween, you mean? Uh, it's Halloween. It's my anniversary. There's a bunch of oh, that weekend is gotcha. scary for me. Yeah. I mean, 27 years. I mean, who, who celebrates their 27th anniversary, right? Ah, congratulations, mate. That's good. Thanks. But no, we're not there yet. We're not there yet, dude. In the way this. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think she's divorcing you in the, in the next six months. <laughs> Keeping it in the keep, with everybody in the house together, man. Whew, <laughs> yeah, she might not divorce you. She might kill you. <laughs> well, that'd be preferable to me at this point, honestly. More economically viable. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because there's no bigger stressors on your marriage than you know, a, a pandemic and having teenage kids. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. it's all good. Well, listen, man. Let, let, I'm gonna I'm gonna seg to a song unless unless we want to talk a little. You know, we, we're old men. We like to talk about the weather. We like to talk about this and that. Yeah. Well, do I mean do you want to do you want to introduce? Because we have a theme this week. Even though it's just the two of us, we actually do have a theme. Go ahead and explain what you think the theme is. Wow. I guess we got we got to have some beef. I guess. No, um, no, 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 no. We're not gonna we're not gonna have a beef. 
I came up with the idea a while ago of us doing um, a proto-punk or a pre-punk episode, you know, featuring a lot of the bands that went on to be influential to a lot of the first wave punk bands. So Tom being from the States, I figured he could cover American bands and me being English, I figured I could cover English bands because they're very different. That's always the way we divide it up, right? You, yeah. you, Neil always takes the English side, and I always take the American side. You know, one day we'll do the opposite. Well, I, I think it works this time, though, because if I was to ask you about English proto-punk bands from the early 70s and stuff, I don't know if you would, you know what I mean? I don't know if you'd be that that strong on that one. And it's funny, because we're talking, these proto-punk bands, we're talking about an era right around the time I was born. Right. Real early yeah, exactly. Yeah, early 70s. Yeah. And, and the, I'm figuring your end, it's like the bands that used to like dance in front of the mirror and sing into your hairbrush too, right? <laughs> no, I was no, I was doing that to the Sweet and Slade and Gary Glitter and stuff. But, the, but a lot of punk bands love those bands too. That's true. Slade, especially. And it's funny because, well, and the way the, the kind of the glam thing branches off two different directions. But anyway, we'll talk about all that. Yep. I'm going to play, I'm going to play the first song because I'm going to play a song that's just like, indisputably a proto-punk song right yes sir so i think when you whenever you read a book about the history of punk a lot of times it starts with the mc5 out of detroit and they started playing in the mid 60s by the late 60s they were playing some crazy jacked up rock and roll and essentially the guys were kind of offshoot of the hippie movement but they just played so aggressively and their first album of course was recorded live kick out the jams Kick out the jams, motherfucker. Classic. Um, but let's, uh, I'm going to actually play a studio track. It's kind of shorter and it's just a killer jam, man. And Neil reminded me that the Digits covered it probably yep. in the late late 80s, early 90s. Yep, that's about right. Yep. Which, so I, which, is, which it's, it's funny, I never, I never knew it was a cover until you told me you were going to play this song. <laughs> no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, this is MC5, Call Me Animal.
there. Call Me Animal by the MC5. And yeah, I always thought that was a Digits original. I had never heard that before, so... Is that back in the USA, or was that on... I back in the USA, no. Yeah, I looked it up. Back in the USA from 1970. Yep. So, so the MC5 only made three, like, proper albums. They made Kick Out the Jams, which was recorded at the Grandy, Grandy Ballroom, which is, like, this classic Detroit venue. Um... It wasn't like Eric's in Liverpool, Neil, where you're always like glad to pull up the flyers and say, oh, look at all these little punk bands. It was bigger bands, but you know, like the Who played the Tom, Tommy there for the first time. And and it was just like in the circuit and bands would play it four or five, eight times a year. Hmm. And uh, a lot of people documented it photographically. I'm actually in a Facebook group that has a ton of shows from there. But anyway, yeah, the MC5, a lot of times when people say, you know, try to point to the the, the beginning they point to the MC5. They were old hip kind of hippies who started playing really jacked of rock and roll. It was super political, super charged, super sexual. Uh, not not like dirty sexual, but really sexually charged. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple a couple years ago, a few years ago, I actually got to see a MC50, which is um, Wayne Kramer's kind of rebuilt MC MC5. Okay. Well, he must be pushed. Only, he must be what seventy now or something. I'd imagine, 70. right? He was. I think he was seventy at the time. So it, it's only him left, but he has just put together a tremendously good band, and it's really a lot of fun. A fun show to see. I definitely recommend if he, you know, if he's able to. He's in the high risk group at this point, seventy something years old. But if he's able to drag that tour back out, it looks great though. Honestly, um, you guys should go check that out. It's super cool. But uh, at the beginning of the show, before they came out, they pump in the live background sounds from the show that they recorded for the kick oh. of the jam mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's i actually got a chill down my spine for a second which is pretty rare in this day and age huh maybe there's that's a pee now when i get a chill down my spine somebody left it open <laughs> no so how so with mc5 were they were they a three-piece or a four-piece motor city five. Oh, motor city oh oh yeah 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 okay of course yeah MC three. No. Yeah. Matter of fact, locals just called them the five. That was the that was their moniker. So the five were what they had two guitars and an organ or something? What what what, what no, are we talking? Guitar, bass, singer, and drummer. Okay. All just right. uh they are all dead except for two now. Uh Wayne Kramer and the original I don't know if he's even the original. I hate to use the term original, but the drummer who was on on the albums. Well, is he the one now is Wayne Kramer the guy that went to jail for doing something stupid? He did, but I don't think he was the only one. Okay. Spent time in federal prison in Kentucky, I think on drug charges. His book, so he wrote a book called The Hard Stuff, which also was the name of his solo album from the 90s. It is really, really good. If you're at all interested in, like, the early nascent pre-punk Motor City scene, it's a fascinating, fascinating book. And it's so well written, and, and he struggled with drugs and alcohol addiction until he was, like, 65 or something and he finally beat it and he i want to say like became a father for the first time at like 65 or 70 or something jesus yeah it's crazy it's crazy but but he's i mean it's a really great story you don't see uh late life redemption you know very often Mm -hmm. like you you can't get it together by the time you're like you know in your 40s you're probably just screwed (laughs) i mean look at jerry right yeah the guy who 57 or something. Yeah. Didi Ramon, you know, these people just, they rarely escape, you know. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. But it's fascinating reading about Detroit. I think part of the reason, I mean, Detroit was always a music city, obviously. 
you know, you had Motown, which like my mom's generation, my mom loved Motown music, the Supremes, mm-hmm. Diana Ross. Stuff. Classic so stuff. Here. Yeah. That 60s stuff is classic. Yeah. 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 All that stuff. Four tops. Um, but, but he talks about how, you know, it was a factory town, right? So they ran three shifts making cars, Motor City. So there was a lot of opportunities for bands to play because they would cater to every shift. So like they'd have bands playing at like eight o'clock in the morning. Oh shit. Wow. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Like the third shift people that were getting out of work. You know, we got bars here too. I know that like serve breakfast for the third shift guys getting out. Right. Yeah. So they can go get red eye after work. Go have a drink. Go have breakfast. So anyway, yeah. So the bands would literally play like in three shifts. So there's a lot of opportunities for bands to play back in those days. Mm-hmm. And Detroit's always been a rock and roll town anyway. Still is a pretty good rock and roll town. Yeah. So yeah, you might go in and catch like, oh, you know, MC, or, I don't know about the MC5, but you know, you go catch like a set at 8 a.m. for the <laughs> third shift. Out. Just got done making Chrysler's. Now they're going to go watch some band play and pound, you know, 13 hams or something. <laughs> or Stros. Detroit was the Stros. Stros. Yeah, hams being a cheap American beer, they didn't eat a bunch of ham. So just yeah. so our foreign listeners don't yeah. get, get that one. Our, our English friends don't know what ham what hams is, but yeah, yeah it was a. But it's funny because Stros, they're they're. Uh, I remember their uh, marketing slogan used to be "Fire brewed with Detroit River water," which which you don't want to really talk about these days. <laughs> that does it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not too appetizing that one. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I think Hams so Hams was from the land of deep blue water or something like that. Sky blue water. Sky blue water. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Like like now would be considered very racist because yes, I think it was kind of like a tune, wasn't it? It's was like a Native like American an thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Neil, the world's gone topsy-turvy, but we'll talk about that later. It has. Um, so, 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 so we mentioned, so when we were talking before we started, I mentioned that of the four at least songs that I picked to play, this is going to be a real music-heavy episode, I assume, I had seen some version of three of the four, mm-hmm. but you were saying you actually not seen any of yours. No, I've seen a member of one of, one of these bands that I'm going to play, but as of the bands themselves, no, I've never seen no, any sure. of them. I mean, most of them are either dead or bands have broken up and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, yeah. Neil, I'm dirty joking. You didn't even hear it. Um, what did you say? Sorry. You didn't see the members member. Uh. <laughs> If I had to repeat it, it loses its power. Yeah, good old Nicky Tesco from the members. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so what? Uh, so you and I went different directions with this. I kind of went definitely more like the musical sort of predecessors style wise, and I think you went a little different direction with it. What was your What was your thinking when you were going through this? Well, I did, and actually, it it ties into some of the differences actually between early American punk rock and early English punk rock, right? Which was, American stuff wasn't as image-based. It was, you know, more music-based, whereas a lot of the English stuff was a lot more fashion-based as well, right? So, um, so the things I've picked have all been things that influenced uh, some of the early British punk bands. Uh, not musically, per se. Um, I mean, they were experimental and stuff and, and ahead of their time, but it it was it was almost more artistic and flamboyant and stuff like that and anti, um, anti-normal kind of thing, anti-fashion at the time and stuff like that. So um, the first one I'm going to do is obvious. Uh, the early David Bowie stuff. I mean, clearly mm. classic, right? I mean, uh, the early sure. Bowie stuff. Like, who, who doesn't love it? I mean... 
I would never been a fan of the later Bowie stuff, and to be to be honest, I never understood the huge fuss. Um, like, I I knew he was a huge star, so him dying was a big deal. But it's yeah. like his 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 releases between like ninety five and and two thousand fifteen, he couldn't get arrested. You know, no one so, bought no one bought any of that shit. So, what do you consider later period? Like, when did you lose interest? Oh, seriously, probably about seventy eight. <laughs> See, but, see, I loved the '80s stuff. Oh, what like uh, uh, China Girl, Let's Dance, yeah, uh, Scary Monsters, yeah, that stuff. Time will, time will crawl. Was, was Scary Monsters '80s? Uh, wasn't it? It was when I was at graduating high school. So it was about 1980, I think. Wasn't it? I'm trying to think, like, because so I'm talking like the pop. What, what was kind of pop? Never Let Me Down, Let's Dance, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I even like that band he did called Tin Machine. Tin Machine, yeah. I thought that was really underrated. Real noisy. It was probably the punkest musical thing he ever did really uh ragged rock and roll loud yeah just dis- this dissonant rock and roll so what what song um what what song would you think would you pick to represent the sort of influential to punk era of david bowie well i'm gonna do okay so i mean in that early period well like 71 to 74 i mean he released so many classic albums right yeah. in that in that period um so we had, I know his, his first, I mean, he started off kind of folky, right? And kind of yep. hip, hippie-ish. Black and, Mountain Rock and all that, yeah. Yeah, and like, in like the late 60s and stuff. Um, I'm thinking it probably started with like 71 with Hunky Dory. That's, okay. that's the stuff I like. And then obviously Ziggy Stardust followed a year later. Um, I think then Pinups and Aladdin Sane, he did both of those in 73. I mean, it's crazy. He was putting out a classic album every year. Diamond Dogs in 74. Um, and yeah, by Young America, by I think by Low in 77, I'd kind of started stopped losing in, uh, started losing interest. But um, now, but did I, you now you weren't listening to him at the time? I assume this is you were getting into them later. You, you in 1971, you were. I was eight. I was listening yeah, to. I was, I was listening to. Strong. I was listening to Benny Hill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you yeah, were like this, yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy, right? I had. A, I had. A, I had a great Flintstones uh, single on red vinyl. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> Wait, but you don't have that. It's probably worth tens of dollars. <laughs> it probably is worth tens of dollars. Um, <laughs> the original insert. <laughs> I mean, you're right. My older brother, who's he's six years older than me, so he yep. was really into Bowie, and mm. so I heard a lot. I heard a lot of the stuff because he would play it, but you know, eight. I mean, you're not really into anything, sure. are you? But uh, yeah, I mean, I've obviously over the last twenty years looked back at his back catalog and those those first early albums. I mean, they're absolutely amazing. Um, so I'm going to start off by playing uh, nothing too obvious. I'm going to play uh, Queen Bitch, which is off Hunky Dory uh, from '71, and um, talk about proto punk. I mean, it, it's super simple. Got a great riff, short, um, and a bunch of early punk bands covered it. I mean, it's been covered so so many times. Eda covered it, and a a few other bands covered it. So, anyway, this is uh, Queen Bitch of Hunky Dory. Yes. 
Queen Bitch by Bowie off of Hunky Dory. And uh, and yeah, even though you wouldn't say musically it's a punk rock song or anything like that, I mean, you know, he influenced, I mean, pretty much all the early punk bands would claim Bowie as an influence for sure. You know, it's, so. I hope I hope you didn't offend our two female listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, hey, it was Bowie that said it. Bowie said a lot of weird things back then, man, in the in the mid-70s and stuff. Oh. It it Dude, always John Lennon was like a wife beater. I mean, it was like it was a different era. Well, I'm no, not excusing it. But no, it was I, a no, I'm, era. I'm I'm talking about saying you know England needs another Hitler. I mean, I mean a Hitler. I mean, it was he uh, said he said some really wacky stuff, and I find it funny that Morrissey gets so much shit if he said half the stuff that Bowie said. <laughs> yeah, Bowie was kind of untouchable. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, I find that funny. But um, getting back to the Bowie thing a second, the thing I mean, I've never. Not a huge Bowie fan, like I said, those first few albums I love, but sure. most stuff after that I don't like. And I also don't like how he would just ditch the musicians who'd been in his band and stuff and then move on to something else. Um, some people would see that as being a positive. I thought it was terrible. I mean, Mick Ronson was the guy that pretty much made uh, Ziggy Stardust. He was not only the guitarist, he arranged uh, he arranged the complete album, and I think he did that with Aladdin Sane as well. And um, so he was responsible for a lot of Bowie's success at that point. And then when Bowie moved to America and started doing the Young Americans thing, he just ditched Ronson like a bad habit. Um, that never sat well with me. Hmm. So I've heard other people say that too, that his music suffered after... After the two parted ways, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I'm in the late '80s when CDs were really getting popular. Mm-hmm. One of the very first, because I got a bunch of box sets from that era. 
they were expensive, man. They were like sixty bucks, you know. They seemed mm-hmm. really expensive at the time, but sure. I have a couple. But I have the original Sound and Vision box set. Oh, okay, that's a good box set. Yeah, that's which a good I think one. had like three full length CDs and maybe like you know something revolutionary like a CD ROM or something on the. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we could watch it on like a nine inch black and white. <laughs> exactly, monitor. like it took, but it took like the whole like disc for one video, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, I mean, to distill his career down, now granted, that was late 80s, so there's a lot of music that came after that, I'm Afraid of Americans and all that stuff. He did some decent songs after that. But, um, but yeah, to distill it down to, like, a couple albums, like, if you get, like, the Changes Bowie or Changes Bowie 2 or whatever, those, like, Greatest Hits albums, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm totally on board with that. And I know that's sort of lame. That doesn't certainly doesn't make me any kind of a super fan, but I do appreciate, you know... You look at a song like like Suffragette City or something, man. That was a rock song, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Great riff, you know, Queen bitch. Um, even Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy Stardust, fantastic. Yeah, the, the Bauhaus version is great too. <laughs> that weird like guitar uh, intonation, and then like you know the wah wah that spider, you know, just like the get the heavy part. It was, it's cool. It's real cool stuff. Very theatrical. Very yeah. uh, like you, you use the word flamboyant, which is sort of a loaded word in this day and age. But you're right about that. Yeah, I mean, he was dressing as a woman, a lot of cross-dressing kind of stuff, sure. a lot of, you know, backlash at the time, but from the older generation saying, is it a man or a woman, it's terrible, get a haircut, all that kind of stuff, so. Um, you imagine say that now? You're, yeah. you're literally, if you see a, a woman in a dress with a beard, you're literally not allowed to, you know, <laughs> do a double take. Yeah, yeah. yeah so don't don't think about doing that, Tom, please, next time I see you. I, I would see be, you a, I would be an ugly woman. <laughs> But you know, listen, my body, my choice, Neil. Hey, there's a there's a really good documentary on um on Mick Ronson, which I think it's on Netflix, and you should watch mm. it if you can, because it's kind of a sad story. Because he was kind of heartbroken after Bowie ditched him, and mm. Bowie didn't really pay him either. So it did was, he not uh, have any like success after that? I mean, he put out a couple of solo records. And then he started having success producing. In fact, he produced one of the last things he did. He produced an album, uh, actually probably Morrissey's best solo album. So, so is he? He's dead too. He's dead. Yeah, he died about twenty years ago. Oh, really? Yep. Waiting for Bowie with a knuckle sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, because some people, you know, that last Bowie made his last album knowing he was dying. It's called, I think, it's called Black Star. Yeah, that's right. I haven't listened to it. It's not my style. Star Wars, it just doesn't do anything for me. Right. But a lot of people were like, maybe even one of my. You know, coworkers at Punk News, like, how did you? How was that not in your top ten for the end of the year? Well, like, I think we I, know. I, I think we know who that was. I, I'm <laughs> not saying. I'm not. I'm not saying. But I don't. Uh, I just. I just didn't. Yeah, I didn't really care about it. And and, I, and maybe it is a brilliant artistic statement. But I have a lot of brilliant artistic statements in my record collection. I only have so many hours left in my life. I'm just not. Not. I don't care about it. Uh, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll put it like this. It'll be exactly the same when Paul McCartney dies, right? Everyone will be hail him as a genius and stuff like that. But nobody bought any of his records for the last 25 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. And, and the you fact know? of the matter is, I don't care about his soul stuff particularly at all. Anyway, you know. I heard he does, puts on a phenomenal show, but I wouldn't pay the money. Who, Paul McCartney? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, but I was just saying that as a, you know, as yeah. A, no, no. There's a lot example. of that. You know, I always, you know, and once again, I know I've said this before, but I love to talk about Motorhead, so I don't care. You know, there's, a, there's, a, it's like when Lemmy died. You know, it's like if you're on Facebook and your friends are punk rockers or metalheads or whatever, like us. You know, every other person is just crying about how sad it is that Lemmy's dead. Meanwhile, they never went and saw him while he was alive. Right. You know <laughs> yeah, I mean? never yeah. played anything bigger than a theaters. I saw him in the 90s at a bowling alley. Right. So, you know, if you really care about these artists, support the artists. 
It's the, it's the same as the Ramones. I mean, the Ramones in this yeah, country. Yeah. I mean, they were playing. They were fucking warming up for White Zombie, for God's sake. Yeah, sense. exactly. Well, but they, the Ramones were at least able to kind of do a victory lap because they said this is it. And meant it, which was which was nice too. They yeah, didn't just I mean, keep and, doing and, and, and you know they tours. never had a huge payday. I mean, that right. was you know say what you will about Johnny the Johnny the conservative Nazi, but the fact of the matter is he made sure they could retire. Yep, exactly right. Yeah. If uh, you know Joey or or Dee Dee would have been in charge. <laughs> I don't know what would happen, but it wouldn't yeah. have been good. They've been living on the street, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's funny because, like, when I was so when I was going through my trying to pick out songs for this, the fact of the matter is, I wanted to pick out bands that were pretty much gone by the time the Ramones came. Because there's a lot of, you know, you look at that that nation kind of New York pre CBGB scene, or even real early CBGBs. There was the Ramones, but there was also real early, early versions of television. Because if 77 is, is ground zero for punk rock, for the Ramones, it was like 74. Yep. You know? So I tried to pick out everything that was before that. Yeah, fair because enough. Because one, yeah. one of them that we kind of kicked around was like the Dictators. But the fact of the matter is Dictators' first album came out in 75. Ramones' uh, first album came out in 76. They were really peers, you know? Yep. Yeah. So I tried to pick all older stuff. So, matter of fact, well, you, I'm, I'm going to transition my next song. Yep, you go. You, unless you want to. No, it's all you. Yeah. Um. So... When the MC5, who we've just been talking about, obviously, were a phenom. They were very, they were very popular. They were drawing huge crowds. Record labels had taken interest. I mean, they wanted to go sign. And I think who put out the first MC5? Was it Electra? Hmm. Let me look that. I up can't remember. But the, but the, I think it was Electra. But the label rep came and he's like, "Well, we're going to sign the MC5." And Electra, the MC5. Yes. The MC5 are like, hey, we got this little brother band called the Stooges, and the guy literally signed the Stooges on the spot too, hmm. um, for like half the money, which is sort of ironic because the Stooges, neither of those bands have been particularly commercially successful, but I'd say the Stooges were more so. Yeah, I, th- I, I would say definitely just because of Iggy, right? But I think those first couple of albums didn't sell beans, and you know the MC5 famously they wanted to cut the the motherfucker from the kick out the jams beginning. Because, like, Macy's or somebody, one of the big department stores that sold a lot of records in Detroit wouldn't carry it, and the band got mad, and I don't remember. There was a big controversy, and eventually Macy's or one of the big stores says, we're not going to carry MC5 records, and I guess it was sort of like a death sentence to the band at that point because hmm. it was a big chain of, like, it's a, it's an interesting story. But anyway, so, yeah, they so they signed the Stooges, too. And the funny thing about the Stooges, you know, the best known stuff is probably that last album, the Iggy and the Stooges album. Okay. Which is Raw Power. Yeah, Raw Power. Yeah, that was the one I always so think So that was of, like yeah. 73, right? 70, yeah, 73, 73. 73, yep. And uh, uh, David Bowie actually uh, produced it. Yep. It's interesting. So yeah, Bowie and, and Iggy were always kind of pals. Man, maybe we can... Neil Wimmer <laughs> pals in inverted quotes, indeed. Yeah, exactly. You know, we might be able to make this work we might actually. This might actually be end up being better planned accidentally than we thought. Yeah, because there is a lot of crossover right there. Yeah, yeah, because because Bowie would work with anybody, the big whore. <laughs> a lot of cross dressing, a lot of crossover, a lot. Of, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Cross everything. Yeah. So, um, so that's probably the best known Stooges album. But the fact of the matter is, I like the first couple because Ron Ashton played guitar. So the Stooges were Iggy. Um, Ron Ashton, the guitar player, and his brother Scott playing drums, and then the original bass player is Dave Alexander, who I guess was pretty bad and died. So they kicked him out and then he died. Um, but 
Ron Ashton was the coolest guitar player, man. I lo- this guy. You look at the old pictures from like late sixties. You're like, oh, this is the coolest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. And and later, uh, was it James Williamson? I think the guy's name was who played on the Raw Power album, and Ron actually played bass. Hmm. Okay. So, but my understanding is like the early Stooges, they didn't even really have any songs. Like they would just jam, and Iggy would just sort of wail and contort himself. So when they finally went to make the record, they're like, "What, what are we gonna do here?" <laughs> But well, the, that, well, that's amazing because there's some great songs on this album. There so, is. Yeah. And a matter, matter of fact, I think this is such a powerful song still. So we're going to actually play a song from the very first album, which I think is 69? 69, yes. yes. The self-titled The Stooges album, produced by John Cale. Oh, is that right? Yes. Who was another one of the bands that we were kicking around, but we'll do that when we come back from our yeah. we'll come back from song. We'll talk about that a bit. All right. But, yes, yeah, so... Um, this is probably the best known song from this album, but man, the fuzzy guitar and the droning sort of weird bell percussion, it's it's so good, man. This is Iggy or this is The Stooges, I Wanna Be Your Dog.
So there, that was the Stooges with their classic "I Want to Be Your Dog," which again has been covered by about a million most, punk bands. Most famously, most famously by Joan Jett, probably. Okay, all right. Uh, but oh, such a raw urgency on that song. Oh yeah, for sure. So the reason I mention that is because, and I'm going to use this to segue back to you for whatever your next one is, because I'm not even sure. So, um, John Cale, of course, was from the Velvet Underground. That was a band that a lot always gets kind of cited as uh, influence on the early punk bands. And they started out in the mid-60s, I think. Uh, yeah, 67, something like that, I think, yeah. I think I think it was like 65. Oh, wow, was it? Okay. But anyway, it was Lou Reed and John Cale, and don't ask me who the rest of them were, I can't remember. Um, Nico. But one of the... I kind of blanched at playing a Velvet Under Velvet Underground song, and I don't hate Velvet Underground. They're another one where you know, like, give me like their best ten songs or something. But a lot of terribly, terribly pretentious crap, <laughs> horrible, long, unlistenable songs. That last album had like a the White Light White Heat album had like a seventeen minute song on it. Like the whole second half of the album was one song. Yeah, Sister Ray, which is just, yeah, just Joy Division terrible. covered that. Yeah, and I'm I I and I, my understanding is that Lou Reed is one of the biggest pricks you'll ever. Well, he's dead now too. Yeah, was like one of the worst guys. So I've always had sort of a negative image of them. And I have a couple Lou Reed albums. I have the New York album that he did maybe in the late '80s, which was kind of considered one of his best. And I have like a best of, you know, because you got to have "Take a Walk on the Wild Side" or whatever. But the reason I blanched at oh, Transformer is a fantastic solo record. If you're gonna get a solo record, get Transformer by Transformer. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But he was also known for doing like these live albums that were just disastrous. It yes. just sounded like throwing a box of silverware down the stairs or something. Like Neil Young used to do those like feedback, like one full album of feedback. But um, yeah, so so the reason I didn't, the reason I kind of resent the Velvet Underground, even though I do like some of their songs, is because they're so artsy fartsy in a lot of ways. That was everything punk was rebelling against. So even though, like, you're playing these sort of glammy bands, but a lot of it is so artsy-fartsy, isn't it? I mean, as much as they influence early punk bands, wasn't punk sort of a kick against some of it, too? Um, you say artsy-fartsy, I say experimental. And experimental was was just fine. It was certainly different than what fucking Rush and Yes were doing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That's you know. the first thing you think of. Kansas, Rush, yeah. Yes, yeah. I get that. Yeah, so, I mean, yes, I mean, the Velvet Underground, like, yeah, I mean, they're unabashedly artsy. I mean, that was the whole point, right? They were artsy and experimental sure. with their light shows, and, you know, they hung around with Andy Warhol and that whole crew in yep. New York and stuff, yep. and that's what, I mean, that's what they were doing. Lots of cross-dressing, um, lots of, yeah, gender-bending, which was in the late 60s jesus christ that's unheard of so um i know what you mean um musically certainly not punky but um well even though a lot of people did cover some of the some of the velvet underground stuff sure. like as i joy division did and lots of early punk bands did waiting for the man and stuff like that so and they were singing about things that they, i mean yeah artsy they might have been but they were singing about street stuff like doing heroin and you know spike into my vein yeah, yeah. that was and, and i considered briefly playing heroin or waiting for the man both yeah those are both classes obviously yeah um not the nico crap no i'm just kidding oh she's got a, she's got a lovely voice she really does no she's, i agree yeah but the fact of the matter is the original version of heroin which is the shortest version is like seven minutes long <laughs> i got a funny i got a funny story about that have i told this and, on, and on just, this podcast before my, What's that? Have I, have I told my 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 heroin story on on the podcast before? How um, you have, but it's funny because you're sort of breaking up. But no, tell it, tell. Do tell. Um, 
it was when who who was it from Rush that just died like a year or two ago? Oh, uh, Neil Peart, the drummer. Yeah. So I was in my local my local uh, establishment for a couple of drinks on a Friday night. And that doesn't sound like something you do. No, right? And <laughs> and they had the uh, the thingy jukebox where you can pull up the the songs on your phone. So I lined up oh, some yeah. songs, some oldies and stuff, you know, stuff I like to listen to over dinner. No, nothing, nothing radical. But um, sure. someone kept bumping all my songs and just playing Rush songs. <laughs> and it was the last thing in the world that I wanted to hear. So the funny thing about, I can't remember the name of the apl- application now, but the thing you can do, you know, you can play stuff. if As long as you're in range of the jukebox, you can play them after you've left. So I lined up, I lined up like the 16-minute version of Heroin. <laughs> <laughs> and played it next, and then I left. Every so. single person in the restaurant wanted to stick that spike into their vein <laughs> when they were done. I don't know. That just makes me laugh. So sorry about that. I yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, so yeah. The Velvet you Underground. Put in the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald like ten times in a row. <laughs> yeah. Um, little Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> little Gordon Lightfoot for you. Yeah, that was in the yeah. Great Lakes, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, if I, if I was doing the American one, I would probably have done the Velvet Underground, but uh, just because, just because, again, influential more than anything else. But uh, but yeah, it was your choice in the stew. Hey, you can't take anything away from the Stooges, man. You you know that was uh, that was right on. So what is where? So let's going back across the globe to jolly old England. Where yeah. are you going? Where are you headed? Okay, well I'm going experimental as well. Um, so I mean, Roxy Music. Well, probably got to be known in the mid '80s mm. for doing like lots of like schmaltzy love yeah, songs and yeah. Brian Ferry looking like he, you know, in a tuxedo and shit like that, looking like a gigolo. <laughs> but in the early days, they were super outrageous. We're talking mm. like '71, '72, '73. Um, outrageous in the way they looked because they looked like they just got off a fucking spaceship, and. Uh, experimental in their sound you know because they had you know doing the organ and the weird saxophone um and they would they were just doing short weird songs right so um lots of the early punk bands were very very influenced by roxy music so uh so that's what i was gonna do i'm gonna play um the song do the strand off of the for your pleasure album from 73 so this is Roxy Music with Do The Strand. There's a new sensation A fabulous creation A danceable solution To teenage revolution Do The Strand love When you feel love It's the new age Oh, uh-huh. 
You know what? Not not probably the most obvious song. You know, I could have done like Virginia Plain or Pajama Rama or something like that. But uh, I like Do the Strand a lot, and it's got that discordant saxophone, which like X-ray specs would later, you know, do the same a similar kind of thing. Um, so Stooges I don't know. Stooges too, huh? Stooges too on their uh, like Funhouse album had a ton of saxophone. They had a saxophone player later on. Yeah, it's pretty crazy actually, because saxophone can be really. I mean, you wouldn't think of saxophone being, you know, like a punk but when rock you sort instrument. of overdrive it. Like, yeah, uh, it's it's really unpleasant. It. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm not a big fan of horns and rock and roll, but occasionally, if you use it properly, it's okay. Well, that Trace Backs did it beautifully, right? It just added to the weird. Yeah, crazy ass sound. Okay, now it's Ruff- funny. It's funny because I never Roxy music is really not on my radar at all. Yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with them. So even though like even though like 80s and 90s like schmaltzy crap, you didn't. You, you, yeah, they, I mean I know the I, I guess I know their biggest hits. Yeah, I mean it was like more. Than, I'm hearing some wicked feedback on or something coming from you, Neil. Are you like playing music on your phone? Are you bored? Are you like playing music on your phone? You know what I think? It, I think I think it's my radiators because it's so goddamn cold. Oh, oh, oh okay. so my radiators are going crazy. Right, Sorry about that. Yeah, Neil, Neil's bored while podcasting. He's listening to music videos on uh, watching music videos on YouTube. Did it stop because my radiator just went off? Yep. Okay, yeah, he was a radiator. Yeah. Just kind of comes off and on. It yeah. sounds like a real low like music playing in the background. Yeah. No, it sounds like a it sounds like a Lou Reed live track, just a sort of a <laughs> dull white noise. Yeah. If he was in here right now, he'd be recording it. Hey, exactly. It's really cool. Well, it's funny. So where where am I? Oh, I'm I'm up to my next. Well, so well, I will go to well, New York hold, for the next one. Hold on. I'm sorry. Hold on one no, second. So I was just going to say so yeah, so in the 80s, yeah, Roxy Music were known for doing their schmaltzy stuff and then brian ferry did a whole bunch of solo stuff where he did um very schmaltzy um radio friendly you know type stuff and uh he gets a lot of even though he's still alive and he still he still does he still get actually played chicago um i think the summer before last and it was either that or morrissey so he you know brian ferry lost out on that one so i went to see mars instead but um he actually gets a lot of uh, pushback now because he's, I mean, he's, I'd imagine he's 70 and clearly he has a lot of money. And so he's very, uh, you know, he, 
he goes fox hunting. He does shit like that. So amongst the woke types, he's very, very, uh, you know, on the shit list. So And Morrissey. Yes. Wouldn't like him either. <laughs> well, even though, yeah, Morrissey wouldn't like him for that reason. I'm sure Morrissey liked Roxy Music, but yeah, you'd hate him for the fox hunting and stuff like that. But, you know, he's like a landed gent now. You know, he lives out in the country and... You know, give up all his give up all his weirdness for a life of comfort. Well, pretty much as soon as Eno left, the weirdness left. So, mm. um, so I think Eno left after like three albums, and then he's started... another one. You know, legendary producer, but yep. did he ever do anything that was commercially successful? <laughs> no, no. He's you know a lot of his solo stuff was just again like Lou Reed, him making like ambient noises and shit, and <laughs> recording like grasshoppers and crap. <laughs> I don't have any musical instruments, so I'm going to make an entire album uh, beating on peanut butter and jelly jars with different uh, kitchen Yes, you guys need to hear my art. But uh, yeah. but again, yeah, to the early punk bands, Roxy Music were very very influential. In fact, there used to be, you know, a lot of the um, a lot of the early punk guys met at like discos, which would be they would be the every disco would have disco throughout the week, but then one night they would have like a Roxy david bowie night kind of thing and that's when the little weirdos and gay folks would go and stuff like that so and that's how a lot of punk bands actually got started junkies and queers huh yeah junkies and queers yeah yeah um i think that was the name of one of the uh, discos actually <laughs> well i was gonna say well that's a line from something but i can't remember what yeah but that was uh, a quote you, yeah it was a quote yeah it was a quote yeah so anyway um, so yeah roxy music there never made it across it, the atlantic is- really but you know it is funny because, well, we've been talking a lot about, like, the sexual ambiguity end of it, and now we're going to go back to New York, and it doesn't get much more sexually ambiguous than the New York Dolls. I find that interesting that you're going there. Why don't you just finish off your Detroit thing, man? Well, no, I want to save that for last because there's actually something else, kind okay. of a, a right. modern, like, topic that I want to kind of get Ooh, into. I think it's a right. good seg from that. Cool. So so the thing with the Dolls, obviously, I mean, look at the cover of the first album. They're, they're I mean, they're not – I don't think they're – are they trying to actually convince people they're women? I don't think so. But, I mean, they're all obviously dressed to the nines. they got heels on. But the thing that they added to the mix was, man, the Chuck Berry-type riffs, right? <laughs> Arthur Kane is the ugliest woman I've ever seen. <laughs> Holy shit. Because like fucking Frankenstein. You're allowed Sorry. to say that? He's gone, he's gone too, right? Or is he, is he still the one still alive? No, he's dead. No, he's... The, the only one still alive is J.B. Johansson. J.B. Johansson, yeah. 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 The one who had a career elsewhere. Yeah, because yeah, so, you know it's funny because we didn't play any. We didn't. Sylvain and Sylvain died relatively recently, and we. I don't even know if we acknowledged it. No, we didn't actually. I don't think we did. And he was definitely one of the architects. I mean, obviously Johnny Thunders was a huge influence too. But I think the yeah. tension between those two guitar players is what made the New York Dolls really great when they were great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. And that, that first album is so good. The it second is. album is definitely a letdown, but it's in hindsight, it's got some good stuff on it too. Yeah, but the first album is completely classic. Yeah. Yep. Great. I mean, in fact, I mean, it's one of those. Yeah, I mean, it, it came out the year I was born, and I, I still love it. Great album. Seventy three. Yeah, it's got that classic black and white cover of them all like sitting on a on a bench in the, in the full makeup and heels and yep. drag and stuff, just looking. And at the time, I mean, now looking looking at it, it's like oh, no big deal. But you got to remember, early seventies. That shit was, oh, Jesus. We, you know, America was at war in Vietnam and stuff. And you know and, what's you know what's funny, Neil, is that. It was very controversial, right? You had these men. I'm, I'm talking about how twisted things were in the 70s, especially. So you had this these men in drag, and it was like, oh my gosh, the scandal, you know. Meanwhile, like Led Zeppelin had like Houses of the Holy, where it had like naked like five year old girls all over. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just this weird like disconnect. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah. And you know, so the dolls obviously the dolls connection to punk rock have been well documented. Oh yeah. Um. 
A, the sound, I mean, the, man, it, it's not hard to take a Johnny Thunders riff, Sylvain Sylvain riff, and, you know, put it on the first Sex Pistols album. Yep. It's that kind of rolling, jacked up Rolling Stones type rock and roll, Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. they were all stolen from Chuck Berry riffs. Yep. Um, but, you know, they made the first two albums, of course, and then and then Malcolm McLaren got involved with them, who obviously, you know, helped put the Sex Pistols together later on. So there was a direct, you know, direct, direct connection. Malcolm but, McLaren but, broke him up, basically. Well done, Malcolm. Well, it's funny. Well, it's funny because the band, they were all junkies and drunks. I mean, it was, it's, they were a disaster. The New York Dolls were always a disaster. I think that's part of their magic too. Mm-hmm. Same as the Heartbreakers, yeah. But the fact of the matter is like half of them left, you know, and Johnny Thunder started putting together his own band, like he and Jerry and, you know, Jerry Nolan left and, and whatever. I don't remember Walter Lure. I don't remember exactly how it worked. Billy Mercia well, died. Yeah. Walter Lure wasn't in the Dolls, but you, you know what I mean? It, yeah. But, uh, but then they, because the version that Malcolm McLaren managed was different. And it was like, he was the one who like put them all in red and like you started using all the communist imagery and all that. Yep. That's right. So the later stuff, and they never really, I don't think they put out like a proper album with that version of the band, but I know they like the first two albums are the, are the classic stuff. Yeah. Just, uh, New York dolls and too much too soon. Right. When 74. Yep. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, I wanted to, you know, see, I don't know, because the older guys who listen to us, they, they know who the New York Dolls are. They know. Yep. And so I've struggled with putting this together of picking the, the biggest songs for the younger people that had never heard. Because if, if you're going to play one New York Dolls song for somebody who had never heard one, I I picked that song. And this is So we're going to play Personality Crisis from the first album, even though I was kind of feeling a little pills-ish, like I wanted to play pills. But we're going to do Personality Crisis anyway. So Really, the Dolls' best-known song. Yeah, for sure. And it's from that first album, 
there. Personality Crisis, New York Dolls. That's the first track off the album. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, first track on the album. And uh, did did you ever see? Um, did you ever see the? There was an HBO series a couple of years ago called Vinyl. Did you ever see that? They only did one season. Um, nah, but I didn't have access to HBO at that point. I okay. do now. I run. Maybe I should see if it's in the archives. It's fantastic. It was. Um, Mick Jagger had something to do with it, and um, basically it was. Jagger. Something to do with something fantastic? That is amazing. Yeah, right. Um, 1970. And I think his kid kid had some, one of his kids had something to do with it too. But um, it was based on a record label, a failing record label in like 75, 74, 75 in New York. And um, in the first episode, the coked up guy that runs the record label when they're they're basically going down because they couldn't sign somebody they wanted to sign. Um he goes to a, a place in New York that actually really existed, and the New York Dolls are playing. Uh, you know, a, obviously a fake New York Dolls, but you yeah. know it's supposed to be the Dolls. And um, they, as he walks in, he's stoned out of his mind. He walks in, and the Dolls are just going into personality crisis. And it's the kind of thing that it'll make the hair, the hairs rise up on the back of your neck. It is so fucking good and so powerful. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend if if you can find vinyl they only made one season unfortunately and it ended with cbgb's so um mm. i i was really upset they didn't make a second season but if you can find vinyl i would definitely advise uh, uh read uh watching that because it was really really good so Have it's you- funny because the dolls i mean obviously some of the dolls later would play cbgb's but i think they pretty much were a pre-cbgb's band mm-hmm. maybe the second version yeah definitely um they played at like this Art Center or some Merker Art Center or something like that. I can't remember. What that's where that's where this was supposed to be. Yeah, that's where okay. this when he For when sure. he goes in. For yeah, sure. and if, and that place collapsed. That whole place, that okay. building collapsed, and in they kind of merged the two things in that show. Like they actually have the building like collapsing as the dolls are playing, hmm. um, which I don't think happened. But yeah, that's a great series because it just shows as well how a how corrupt the record labels were back then. You know, that Paola was completely obvious you know they're going to record stores and just paying them off and stuff and all the cocaine and you know Mm. all that shit it's a really really good it's a really good series and like i said it's a shame you know back in those days like well of course a lot of labels ripped the bands off too but like in the 80s bands finally started making so much money they really became these like rich rock stars nowadays holy cow how many of those are there in the whole world right yeah not that many yeah taylor swift (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're not doing it for the right reason now, you better get a day job. Yeah. Well, I think most of our friends that are in bands do have day jobs, right? I mean, all yeah, I'm, do, pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, keeps them honest. Keeps them at the street level. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, keeps them honest. Yes, yes, sir. So where are we going? Where are we going now? We are gonna fly back across the pond, and we are going to go to the. Uh, What's going on here when my Mac is acting weird? Sorry. Um, T-Rex. So, mm. obviously, you're familiar with T-Rex, right? Yes. I mean, only really like the Electric Warrior album, if we're being honest. Okay. So, I Mark, know who Mark Bolin is, yeah. Yeah, good old Mark. Um, Mark Bolin, T-Rex, again, started Mark, late... Mark, yep. Started late 60s. Hippie. Okay. Actually, Mark Bolin had been doing stuff since the mid-60s. He was like a mod in the mid-60s. He was in a band called John's Children, who were very late mod, early psychedelic. Um, mm. 
but that's a story for another day. Um, started T-Rex in the late 60s, very hippie, very nowhere in shoes, and playing an acoustic guitar outside in a fucking field full of shit and hippies. Beads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, by the early 70s, they developed, they developed into this classic um, glam kind of... Uh, but uh, very short, sharp pop songs, right? Um, hmm. So, I mean, you would again, you wouldn't call them punk rock by any means, but the songs were short, they were catchy, they were easy to play, and he he looked great, you know. He was a he was a short guy, you know, handsome dude, um, very flamboyant again. Yep. Um, and they had just a, a, I mean, in England in the early seventies, they're probably the biggest band in England. You know, they had a a series of number one number one hits. You know, he had a show or something too, didn't he? Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So okay. this, I mean, early seventies when they were huge. You know, twentieth century, twentieth uh, century boy, uh, bang a gong, get it on. You know, yep. uh, a lot of the that was, a, that was the biggest. That was the biggest one, right? Yeah, in the states a, especially. Civilian, that's probably the biggest one song. Yeah. Yeah. So and then they had classic albums, like you said, Electric Warrior is probably the biggest one. And then they had one called Tanks, and then um, one called The Slider. So, I mean, then these, you know, they would sell out huge stadiums and stuff like that. And, you know, he was... Just a three-piece, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but then in, like, 74, 75, he started to, like, lose his way. Um, started to record other things. He weren't as popular anymore, and he started trying to glom onto, like, disco or something and that kind of didn't work out too well and he was too much into heroin and uh, not heroin i think he was into a lot of coke i think he was doing mm. a lot of that stuff so um but then he started to pull it back back together in like early 76 and he was one of the only um glam rock slash classic rockers who actually realized early on that punk was coming and the mm. punk was really really good so in late 77 or uh, mid-77, he started to, like, uh, resuscitate his career. Um, he had the Damned warm up for them on a tour. And, um, yeah, he had his own TV show in the 77, early, starting early 77, I think, and uh, called The Mark Show. And he was he would always invite on punk bands. He was the first to have, like, Generation X on the show. They, and they play live in the studio. He had the jam on like there. Like before Top of the Pops? Oh, yeah, way before. And like I say, they played live. So like Generation X did your generation. Well, they didn't. They didn't lip sync to no the record. No, um, the Jam did all around the world. And there's a classic mm. bit in the Jam one. You can find all these on YouTube. Um, there was only like eight episodes, I think. Um, Rick Buckler drops one of his drumsticks, and like the song just basically peters out uh, all around the world from the Jam one. And they had Boomtown Rats. They had a. They had a like almost like a punk band every episode. So. Uh, so yeah, Mark was uh, one of the f- one of the only rockers of that time, except for Thin uh, Phil Lin- uh, of Thin Lizzy as well did to recognize that the punk was punk was something good. Mm. So, and it was a real shame. So Mark released his last album. It's called Dandy in the Underworld in '77. And uh, after the last episode of his show, well, turned out to be the last episode. He had David Bowie on there, and uh, he died like two days later in a car crash. 29 years old. Yeah, actually very, very sad because, like I said, his career was just starting to come back around again. And who knows what the hell imagine, happened. Imagine already like having a big career, losing your career, and having it come back and you're not even 30 yet. Right, yeah. 
I actually did. There's a there's a record that's come out recently, and I can't remember what it's called, but I know I did a news piece on it for New Noise because I think Joan Jett had covered Jeepster, which I think is from that yep album, isn't it? From the Electric Warrior album. Yep. Um, but it was like a double LP a tribute to Mark Bolan, a bunch of people covering his covering his songs. And I remember doing the news piece. It was, it was some pretty big names attached to it. He clearly was influential. And dude, his death is just bizarre. So he he never learned to drive himself. And even though he owned a Rolls Royce. And he predicted that he was going to die in a car crash like a long time before he actually died. And he had a Rolls Royce. But he, when he died, um, he lent his Rolls Royce, I think, to Hawkwind. Who were touring or something like oh, that? Oh, never a good idea. So, Lemmy's still in the band at that point? Uh, I don't think no, so. No, not I, by 77. Yeah, he was yeah. So uh, Hawkwind took his Rolls Royce. So Mark, um, his girlfriend at the time, uh, was Grace Grace Jones. What the hell's her name? She was the original one that recorded Tainted Love. Um, really? I'm drawing a blank on that one, yeah. Um, but anyway, it was she had a mini. And so Mark yes. was with her in her mini, and they were coked up. Known as the rolling coffin. Yeah, and sure enough, they crashed into a tree, and Mark died. Um, very, very sad. Um, sorry, I'm laughing. Glo- I'm, I'm sorry, laughing. it wasn't Grace, it was Gloria Jones. Gloria Jones was, was his girlfriend at the time. Oh. So um, She lived. She lived, yeah, she lived, and uh, Mark was in the passenger seat, and he died. One of the talent lived. And the, and the funny thing is, this, like... like you know, he earned, he, owned mil- he earned millions when they were the biggest band in the world, but by the time he died, they were pretty much penniless. Hmm. And um, after he died, supposedly someone broke into his house and stole all a bunch of his stuff. And so Gloria Jones was basically penniless. So hmm. I think that some crazy story like David Bowie ended up paying for the funeral or something. I, I can't remember the exact story, but this, hmm. this I know David Bowie helped her in some way. What, the freaking network television couldn't do it? No. Um, Whatever he was... Just very. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a documentary out there. Where did Mark Boland's millions go? So, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of interesting. But, uh, mm. but yeah. So anyway, I, I didn't play the song, so I'm going to play uh, "Metal Guru" off of uh, his album "The Slider" from 1972. Because I didn't want to play one of his obvious ones, because probably most people know them. So this was a single. Um, again, "Metal Guru" from uh, 1972. <laughs>
right, that was uh, T-Rex with Metal Guru. And uh, in fact, on Morrissey's last album, Morrissey loved Mark Bolan. He was, I think, in the Mark Bolan fan club, T-Rex fan club. And uh, he actually name-checks Metal Guru on the, on that last album of Morrissey's, which I think oh. is kind of interesting. So, yeah, very big, very influential, again, with the uh, early punk bands. And like I say, he had the Damned tour with him and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, he was starting to slide right into the right into the punk punk years hmm. right there so yeah so so it's funny you mentioned tainted love because okay so i'm gonna i want to go a little off topic here okay be- before we go into my last probably last song drinking a beer neil having a guinness it does, does it count as a beer it's almost like breakfast right i don't know i'm on call for work i'm taking two week dry spell oh dear that's a shame my wife gave me a little sip of wine try this wine last night i had a little sip but it's a good time for me to the old liver give the old liver a cleansing yeah for sure i get that um, so, um, Tainted Love. Yes, where were you going Any, with that? Well, so it's funny. So there's been a big rock star has been in the news this week. Yes. Marilyn Manson. He has, yes. And I'm sure that you don't give a crap about Marilyn Manson. Um, you might be surprised where I'm going to go with this, but go ahead. Well, it's funny because I don't care about Marilyn Manson either. I, I, I mean, or I don't care about his music particularly. Yes. I'm sort of indifferent to him. Like, I don't think he's terrible. I mean, he's just doing the kind of a, uh, but he's kind of doing like an Alice Cooper kind of a, kind of a thing. And he's built a persona, but obviously he's been accused of sexual assault, verbal assault, physical assault by a bunch of ex-girlfriends. And it's interesting because watching the dominoes fall, and I always think this is bizarre in a way because he's been accused of something. He hasn't been convicted of anything, but his label dropped him. His manager dropped him. Yeah. His, I mean, he's supposed to be on some TV shows. They've dropped him. I mean, they're going to, they're going to Donald Trump, this guy, they're going to cut him out of home alone too, or whatever he was. Doing, you know. <laughs> and, uh, Marilyn Manson was in home alone too. Well, shit, that would have been cool actually. <laughs> but it's, it's bizarre. My first comment is it's bizarre with the sex, sex crimes. And I, I don't get me wrong. I certainly, I think he's probably guilty. I mean, you can't. There's a lot of smoke there, not to have any fire, right? Well, um, okay, but, it, but we it's, can, yeah, it's such a ahead. weird crime because you get accused of it and you're automatically treated treated as as guilty, which is strange. But one of the, you know, if you if you get accused of murder but you never get convicted, most people aren't going to call you a murderer for the rest of your life, unless you're OJ. I was going to say unless you're OJ Simpson. Yeah, <laughs> yes. but you, you know what I mean. It is a strange crime like that, and I understand because it's. It is a little more difficult to prove, you know, there's no body. Right. Um, and I also understand that we've sort of, our society didn't take it seriously for so long that we've sort of, I think, now we always sort of just assume guilt, which I think maybe is a little too much of a, is an overreaction because there are occasions where it's not true. So what, but so, it's what, just, so what are they accusing him of exactly? Um, just being abusive and, you know, that's enough now, right? Okay. His name's I mean, fucking Marilyn Manson. He named himself after a fucking serial killer. This isn't the 1950s where, where Ricky Ricardo could smack Lucy around on television and no one cared. You know, this is a different, different era. Yeah, but again, his name is Marilyn Manson. That's, that's like one of Gigi Allen's old like girlfriends are coming out saying, you know, he abused me. Well, of course I, he did. He was fucking Gigi Allen. That's with his old shtick. You know, my name is Tom Traum and I'm, I'm very gentle. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, you're, trauma, you you're traumatized. Exactly. Um, but it's, it's, it's funny. Cause one of the women, it's, it's not, 
That's not funny, but I'm laughing anyway. I'm la- I laughed when Mark, Dol- Mark Boland died in a car accident, and I'm laughing at this. One of the women, this famous actress, I can't remember who, said that he had a rape room in his house. And I'm just like, how do you do that? It's like you're like going through the phone book calling contractors. Hey, uh, you uh, guys do rape rooms? <laughs> but hold on. What, what, does, what does that mean? What, what, the fuck's a, what the fuck's a rape room? I assume it's just like a, you know, you or I would call it a spare bedroom. It's yeah. <laughs> a steel door and soundproofed. I don't know. I don't know. I, this is this is highly inappropriate. Maybe, the it reason was, I bring, maybe it was a recording studio. But it's funny. So so I don't care about Marilyn Manson, but I'm looking at his list of hit songs. I use the term loosely. The first one that comes up, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. Oh, cover of... Uh... Yeah. Great. Great, great song, honestly. Yep. Cover of the rhythms from the '80s, new wave kind yep. of band. And then, like one of his original songs, I can't even remember what it was, but uh, "Tainted Love" was another one of his big hits. "Personal Jesus," the Depeche Mode song. A lot of it's like half his hits were covers, honestly. Yeah, it's it always actually he always kind of reminded me of Bowie because he just seemed to be doing a lot oh, mus- musically a lot of things that other people had done. And he was just covering it and doing it more extreme or something, you know? Yeah, Nine Inch Nails. Like I said, at Nine Inch Nails, Alice Cooper, those are the big, infl- you know, the big things that I would say are the obvious ones. Oh, I'm sure, but, he, I'm sure, I'm sure he's into wild and crazy sex. I'm sure he is. But that doesn't... Why do that? He's like a 50-year-old man. He probably just wants to, you know, <laughs> lay it yeah. at this point. Yeah, maybe he needed to be whipped to get it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's been, it's been interesting... Because well, and, and so my next song is one that I feel like you're not real keen on. Oh, I'm fine. Artist. No, it's well, I, I'm, it was a surprising choice, but okay. Well, and the reason I picked so so I'm gonna use this this anyway. Marilyn Manson, we uh, you know convict the guy, put him in jail, you know. But yeah, he's been pretty much he's been blackballed. But I, I always felt like he was kind of an Alice Cooper, you know, acolyte. That's why I. Um, kind of use that as the sag plus i knew you'd be get fired up about it because it's such a bizarre situation I, well it, it it is but you know i don't i really don't know that much about the dude all i know is that once he was on one of those stupid daytime panel shows like sally jesse Raphael or phil donahue mm. or something where they had like i was either club freaks or punk rockers or something on there or something and he was actually really well spoken and he actually put whoever the host was he put them completely in their place oh that's right they had because they had the, all of his band on like twiggy ramirez and you know obviously marilyn manson you know the whole serial killer thing a supermodel's first name and a serial killer's last name right yeah <laughs> well yeah same as marilyn manson right yeah. yeah you should be neil the ripper from now on you should be neil the ripper because he's english and i'll be <laughs> Uh, Tom Dahmer. Ooh, Tom, nice Tom Dahmer does sound good, actually. Yeah, he's from your <laughs> neck of the woods too. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was very. He was, he put the he completely put the host in his place too, which was actually very cool. He was very well spoken. So I've always kind of, even though I never listened to his music, I've always kind of admired him for that for being very on top of what it was he was presenting and why he was mm. presenting it that way. So I um, I saw him, I think only. A couple times, both opening, never headlining or anything. Oh, you but, saw him live? Okay. Yeah, I saw him open for Danzig really early on. And then I saw him, I don't remember who the second time was opening for, but he was, I mean, it wasn't my thing, but I thought it was an okay show. You know, he put on a good show. There's a few people like that, like Rob Zombie. Like, I don't care about his music at all, but he puts on an interesting visual show. Like, he really goes out of his way to put on a sure. show. 
Yeah. And it's funny because I think that's where, and going back to, once again, to the Alice Cooper was the other one that I chose, is, you know, I think that had a big impact on these young young guys. If you listen to, like, or read, like, about the Ramones in the early days, like, they wanted to play stuff like Alice Cooper, but they couldn't, they just weren't good enough to weren't do it. Weren't good enough musicians to do it, yeah. So they started, so I think Alice did have a huge influence. Of course, the guy was, so, and once again, I'm talking about Alice Cooper, the band, not Alice Cooper, the man. So the first seven albums, I mean, once again, like you were talking about with Bowie, they were cranking out an album, like three albums every two years. Well, it was demanded by the record labels back then. And they were you all didn't brilliant. get a choice, right? It's amazing. They were all brilliant. And then once they started to be every five years, they sucked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they lost interest. He was golfing by that point, dude. Once again, you know, probably dump trucks worth of cocaine at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Making these yeah, records. For sure. But, um, Alice Cooper, the man, was born in Detroit, uh, raised in Arizona put the band together in Arizona originally, but Detroit was so happening at that point, moved the band back to Detroit and that's where they kind of got big. Hmm. Even though I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know what his ties were at that point, but so they always will be associated with that early Detroit scene, which was really, truly an amazing scene because so MC five and the Stooges and Alice Cooper were at the same time, young Ted Nuge and all these, uh, plus they had constantly bands coming through town because they always drew so well. So it really was a, a crazy scene Happened in town. I'm, yeah. Detroit Rock like City. A, I mean, not like anybody's saying that grand funk railroad is the most amazing band or something, but they were a great band, great live band, popular band, Brownsville station, I mean, I, I, you know, there was just a million of them. Bob C, young Bob Seeger at that point, you know, just a lot going on. This um, went really downhill but, with the last three bands you mentioned, but okay. <laughs> well, but, but they, I think they were all great when they were young. Okay. I'll take you a word for that one. Brownsville <laughs> I, I Station. Have Seeger. I have a soft star for Bob Seeger. And, and Nugent, I mean, he might, he might be a right-wing maniac, but his guitar riffs are, you know, there's no there's no political controversy in the riff for Cat Scratch Fever, Neil. How was he still alive and all four Ramones have been dead for 20 years? He's, well, he doesn't do drugs or anything. God damn it. Can he stop doing someplace? <laughs> even worth it being... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he must be he's probably about 70 now too yeah I remember seeing him a few times back in the day and uh during like the uh like golf war era <laughs> so like early 90s late like early yeah. 90s he'd pull out his bow and oh. shoot like a flaming arrow at this like a hundred yards away like said I was saying that that's great oh damn <laughs> it was great man but yeah it's uh He's one of those guys now where if he gets booked at a local venue or, you know, they'll, like, protest him. Yeah. I mean, he he used to have, like, a 14-year-old girl on tour with him, living with him, but now they protest him because he, you know, supports Trump or whatever. Well, that's, again, again, like I was saying, that that's so funny that, again, Bowie is, uh, you know, Bowie's godlike, you know, deity or whatever. And meanwhile, yeah, he was having sex with, like, 13, 14-year-old yeah, groupies was, and stuff. Was, Everybody was back then, right? That era, I mean, the most famous groupies, a lot of them were like 15 years old. Can you imagine if it turned out Morrissey was doing that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Morrissey's deal, is he gay? He's uh, he's never really come out either and said anything, really. In fact, for a while he said he was asexual, so. Huh. Yeah. He's just, uh, just an unpleasant bastard. Nobody wants to touch him. <laughs> no man, woman, or child wants to be near him. Yeah, because he's just miserable, you know, but, uh, yeah. It's like. Can I get something to eat that's got some flavor around up in here, Morrissey? <laughs> he likes yeah. to, he likes toast. All right, just leave him alone. But anyway, so I, the, there's a there's a four album run there that I love all these albums so much. It's uh, the Alice Cooper 
band is Love You to Death, uh, Love It to Death, Killer, Billion Dollar Babies, Schools Out, and and Easy Action. Anyway, they were they were yeah, man, they were so great. So anyway, so once again, this might not be a musical sort of kinship as much as sort of a uh, like theatrical. Like it yeah. always, it's just you no. Know, I think a lot of those early punk rockers knew that you had to put on a show. Oh sure. Even the I mean, they might have just kind of stood there and played to, for the most part, but like, you know, Johnny Rotten was such a provocateur. You know, he's always right. trying to get the get the crowd going. I mean, maybe he didn't cut him cut his own head off with a guillotine and carried her on on stage, like the Coop still does right. at years old. But oh, anyway, he's, he's so, still doing that. That's shtick. Okay. Dude, I, so once again, so I I didn't mention that my having seen the Stooges at one of the riot fests. I saw the Stooges. It was the Iggy and the Stooges lineup. Mm-hmm. Ashton on guitar was already dead, but Scott Ashton was still playing drums. I think Mike Watt was on bass. He's it's like kind of he's, an all-star. He's like a bass whore, isn't he? Mike Watt, he'll, you know, he'll do anything. Dude makes a living playing the bass. I have I have a lot of respect for Mike Watt, even if I don't love all his bands. I actually I actually think he's a real cool dude. Actually, our good friend John from uh, Japan, uh, for you know that we had on the show, he actually Mike Watt actually played on one of his newest tracks. Wow! Yeah, see? or an or an EP or something like that. Yeah, so see a bass whore. Apparently, he's a cheap bass whore. And he's got Joe Queer singing on one of the songs too. On the new uh, Born Shitsters album? Yeah, uh, not on the album. They've I uh, think they've got a new EP that's going to be coming out, and uh, Joe Queer sings on it. Yeah, he played me one of the songs. It's really good. He was uh, John. John says he swears he's going to send me a record, uh, but. I know how long it takes things to get here from California, so no, we'll dude, he lost he lost his job, so we ain't gonna be sending that anytime soon. Oh man, yeah, sorry, sorry to hear it, John. Yeah, make it be a beer taster, John. That'll be good for you. <laughs> you know, it could be worse, John. I'm just I'm reading I'm finishing up my World War II book that my daughter bought me for my birthday, which is in May, so it's like going on I don't know eight months now. I've been reading this book; it's very big. And uh, I was just reading about you know Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so you're doing better than those guys were. <laughs> fucking hope so <laughs> jesus <laughs> well this this show took a um, bad turn um what's what what, what what's the most offensive show yet i've what? been briefing about a number of serious topics yeah th- thanks for bringing up marilyn manson <laughs> we're against all these things we really are yeah we're i'm just, against I just, it we just want to have some fun and uh, I, I i uh it's interesting you know the the whole cancel culture thing going back to the marilyn manson thing it's like if you like someone, you get upset when they get cancel culture. When you don't, you don't. You know, that's the thing. Nobody can see past their own preferences on this thing and understand that even if you don't like someone, they still, you know, you still don't necessarily need them to be silenced. I guess I guess my point was, I came across bad. I guess my point was, A, he calls himself Marilyn Manson, so he so names him after a serial killer. If you give yourself, here's what I understand, Neil. If you give yourself a weirdo name... As far as Neil's concerned, it's okay if they rape and pillage. <laughs> well, that, and that's the image. That's the image he puts out. He puts himself out as a complete freaky fucking asshole. So I think you know, if you get that, if that's what you go in expecting, then don't be surprised if you get it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess. But once again, that doesn't it doesn't make it right. It just makes it less surprising. If it turned out he chopped a head off or something, you know. I mean, yeah, but you got a guy like Phil Spector who's like four feet tall, and he's like shooting you know, <laughs> right. So, of course, hair kind of gives him away too, doesn't it? Yeah, he, he yeah he died. What like yeah. last well, year or something? Or recently? Yeah. yeah. 
Really? The wall of sound is officially dead. Yep. Yep. Uh, but anyway, anyway, what what Alice Cooper song are you going to play, buddy? Before we gab around for two hours. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I like this one because it's got a good rock good rock and roll riff to it. And uh, a lot of people probably know it. But this is uh, Alice Cooper, Under My Wheels. This is from 1971, I believe, off the Killer album, right, with the snake on it? Could be. Yeah. Okay. Alice Cooper, Under My Wheels. <laughs> Cooper under my wheels so even though his name was Alice Cooper his band was yep. also called Alice Cooper great huh interesting yes it always goes that way you know it always goes that way when the singer has the name but well, so, well, so, so where I, did that come from though because that's not his real name no it's like he's like Vincent Fernier or something yeah. like that yeah so where did Alice do, do you know where that came from he's the son of a, mis- a minister well, and his dad's um, name was Alice. <laughs> I no, I mean, I mean, they they talk about there's a there's a line in No More Mister Nice Guy. Went to church incognito when everybody rose. The Reverend Smith, he recognized me and punched me in the nose or something like that. Hmm. Anyway, um, I don't know where they got the name from. It's just a creepy ass name, I guess. Yeah. 
Now, um, tie in this you, full tie in this full circle. It actually works out really well because you remember. Just, one, one more thing, you know, before oh, I go. I'm on sorry. This. Yeah, go ahead. So the Stooges at Riot Fest, which was really good, actually. Mm-hmm. Iggy, even at 70 years old, could still like contort himself. Like he looked like the guy who could put himself through like the head of a tennis racket at the freak show. Yeah, yeah. And he's uh, very entertaining, very funny, very engaging, very uh, once again very has a even now has like a sexual ambiguity to him. Um, but and so I saw them, and I did see Alice. I've seen Alice a handful of times, never with like the original band. Always, I saw him first time when he was kind of doing the bad '80s thing. But they still, and I saw him a couple years ago at, at a like a performance hall, like where they do normally do like uh, Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. You can set up all his guillotine and all that stuff has a great band plays a great set still a great live band and the good thing about sort of wearing that like corpse painting makeup is and the top hat yeah yeah tell how old he is yeah true enough yeah yeah you know if he was out there looking like captain sensible or something maybe it wouldn't work as much but he looks pretty he still looks good so anyway anyway that's that's it go ahead i'm sorry your turn um so, so I was going to say to to bring that full circle to something we were talking about before. Um, I was mentioning that show Vinyl. So obviously that's set early seventies, and that is actually the band that he was trying to sign. Um, was the Alice Cooper band, and they have an actor playing Alice Cooper, and Alice Cooper makes out like he's going to sign for these guys, and then he signs with whatever the label he was with so that's when the record label owner starts trying to look for something different and actually ends up going for a more punk rock thing so it was kind of interesting actually but yeah they have guys playing alice cooper and they had someone in the show playing someone out of led zeppelin i think it was supposed to be robert plant or something like that so it's very to the time you know it's very 73 74 75 so it's uh yeah it's a real it's a really good show you should you should look it up i think you'll get a big kick out of it oh okay i got hbo go or whatever it is hbo plus or whatever maybe i'll See if I can find it. I think Andrew Dice Clay plays like a coked up uh, radio DJ or something that ends up getting beat over the head with a with an award or something and beaten to death, <laughs> which is probably what he deserves. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I've come out badly in this episode. <laughs> so, Neil's pro murder. <laughs> Pro-rape, Andrew. pro-racism. What else? What are you against? <laughs> Only if it's Andrew Dice Clay, though. <laughs> oh, dude, I remember listening to those tapes, you know. Oh, I laughed so hard at that. They were, yeah. they were, uh, I don't remember any racism, but they were, I mean, you look up a picture of, like, misogynism in the dictionary, you should have, like, those old, like, Andrew Dice Clay dirty nursery rhymes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was so lame, but I was in high school. I thought it was very funny. Yeah. Well, the fact that the sad thing is he's still doing that same shtick. Well, and he wears like old man glasses. He looks like because he always wanted to play like uh, like an Italian like yeah the fifties like, like a fifties like, yeah. like a Fonzie type yep. greaser. But I think in real life he's like Jewish. Yes, he is. And like now he wears these real thick glasses. He looks like a like a <laughs> like a diamond salesman or something. Yeah, well, in the vinyl show, like I say, he plays like a coked out fat um, radio DJ. Uh, so he's perfect for that role, actually. He, like, he like, well. like fat Elvis. Yeah, yeah. God, it, it's such, I, I seriously, it's such a good show. I'm, I was very mm-hmm. upset that it that it got stopped. Um. So okay, so are you done talking about Mr. Cooper? I don't know. <laughs> you know I'm done for now. Well, are you? <laughs> yes, I am. Go ahead, sir. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, so Alice Cooper. So uh, musically, I don't think he was much of an influence on the punk generation. But I think stylistically and with it being so outrageous and all that kind of stuff, I think definitely, right? 
So, okay, we're going to go back across the ponds, and I'm going to go in a slightly different direction, because everything I've done so far with Bowie, Roxy Music, and T-Rex was very um, glam, uh, gender-bending, that kind of thing. So that was, you know, you got to remember England in the early 70s, much like America in the, in the early 70s. Musically, it was a fucking wasteland, right? Um, you had the long distance runaround by yes. You had the, yeah, exactly, right? You, so you had the big AOR bands like Best yes. Best eight minutes of your life. Yes, and fucking, yeah, like you said, Kansas or, you know, th- that kind of prog rock genesis. Just yeah, throw a tall, terrible, you know, <laughs> epic, bombastic complete fucking nonsense so you either had that or you had there was complete shit on the radio like you had like comedians doing songs you had uh you know little kid characters and there was also a lot of like 50s throwback like because of happy days i think there was a lot of like 50s style covers and stuff and then you had like your um teenage hothrobs like that donny osmond you had david cassidy just so the early 70s it was just radio was just on the, on the charts just full of shit just full of candy shit i think it was like that in the states too i mean i know you had your donny osmond and all that kind of stuff and probably some was a bit different but i think it was pretty much the same so okay so then we had the serious stuff like the glam stuff um which was which was one thing but then in like 74 75 there was this revival of like basic roots rock and roll which in england came to be known as pub rock right so, because a lot of these bands, uh, they wanted to get back to basics, just playing like basic rhythm and blues, and they were smaller bands, didn't really care about image, kind of anti-prog, but also anti-glam. So Working they would, th- yeah, yeah. So they would, they would look a fucking mess, right? They would just turn up in their dirty ass flared jeans and long hair and stuff, but they would play like ballsy, stripped down rock and roll. So, and there was no place for them to play because it wasn't commercial at all. So the record labels weren't interested, so they couldn't play theaters and stuff, so they just play in the back rooms of pubs and stuff, which is why it became known as pub rock. So we might be talking about bands like, um, famously, the leaders were Dr. Feelgood, who okay. played like stripped down R&B, um, yep. Kilburn and the High Roads, uh, like mm, Ducks Deluxe, Eddie and the Hot Rods, yep, uh, the Count Bishops. And one of the most famous ones was the 101ers, who um, mm, famously, yeah, famously Joe Strummer's first band when his name was still Joe, uh, Joseph Meller or whatever, right? Um, so yeah, they would play venues like the Hope and Anchor, the Greyhound, and all around London, the Bridge House, the Nashville Rooms, and stuff like that. So even though they weren't part of the punk scene, they were playing a lot of those venues in 75 that later on the pistols would play and in fact the pistols supported um i think they supported dr feelgood i know they supported the hot rods uh one of the most famous early gigs the old, was, the old english punks still love eddie and the hot rods yeah our, our group of friends on facebook they love that band yeah which i always find surprising because eddie and the hot rods 60 like percent of them are dead yeah well and they got a lot of shit too um <laughs> again like a lot of those pub pub uh pub rock bands they didn't know when to stop so a lot of the songs would be six and seven minutes long just like <laughs> r&b jams and stuff but um but the fact that it was back to basic rock and roll no frills um just come on stage as you were kind of thing so it was a precursor to punk even though johnny rotten would say that it wasn't um it actually was because the only bands that were interested i mean i'm sorry the only labels that were interested 
would be a Stiff Records, which was actually formed by, I believe, or given money to by um, one of the guys from Dr. Feelgood to start Stiff Records. And The, da- uh, the, Damned, the Damned put out seven Stiff, right? Huh? What's that? The Damned put out their first album yep. on Stiff? Yeah. So, like, so like yeah, Stiff Records got formed, and they first started putting out, like, yeah, some of the Dr. Feelgood stuff, I think. And then Chiswick Records, who had, oh, like, um, they were another one that had started doing punk uh, pop rock stuff. But then they started putting out punk rock stuff, too. Because, again, early, early days, the punk rock bands couldn't get signed. So, like, uh, yeah, Chiswick and... Uh, who was one of the other labels? I can't think. Shams, uh, Step Forward Records, uh, Sham 69's first label. So there's a lot of crossover, including the bands. So the Wanna Wanna's, yeah, with Joe Strummer. Are, um, are, uh, Elvis Costello was in a pub rock band, uh, played that circuit. The Stranglers were a pub rock band before they, you know, became part of the punk yep. movement. Coxbar. Yeah. And, uh,. So Kilburn and the High Roads was actually Ian Dury. So then they became Ian Dury and the Blockheads, right? There was, you yep. know, so yeah, there was a lot of crossover in that. So I'm actually going to play the Wanna Wanna's. I think it was the only single they put out. So I am going to play the song Keys to Your Heart, which is by far the most favorite song, uh, fa- famous song. And you will definitely recognize Joe Strummer's voice in this. So yeah, it's basic rock and roll. Uh, but uh, yeah, listen for listen for Joe Strummer. Little black book, wrote it down, but he didn't look. I 
The one and oneers with the song "Keys to Your Heart," which uh, I think was the only, at the time, the only record they put out. Obviously, since then, there's been any number of compilations just because of the Joe Strummer thing, because they recorded a lot of demos and stuff. But um, they were living in squats, just like a lot of the early punks were and stuff. But I think the Pistols actually warmed up for the one and oneers, and as soon as Strummer saw the Pistols, he quit the one and oneers on the spot and decided he was going to form as a punk band and that's mm. kind of how the clash came to be right so um so yeah so my whole thing was glam stuff and then some of the pub rock stuff which led directly right into punk rock so there, mm. you, there you go i don't know if there was any i guess the closest equivalent to the pub rock stuff in in the states would have been some of the early things going on at cbgb's right and uh at max's kansas city because even though it wasn't called pub rock, that's probably where some of those only band where those bands could play, right? The Dictators and stuff like that, and uh, yeah, maybe like Ragger from the Tombs and some of the yeah the electric, Pagans and some of those bands that were the electric that was a chairs. little later though. Yeah, the electric probably. chairs. I'm sure because I think the electric yeah. chairs Wayne County um, was what 75 or something when they started. Well, it's funny because I was actually looking for more like Midwestern kind of like proto-punk bands, but they were all, yeah, they were all, all that stuff was happening within the same couple of years. Right. Yeah, I couldn't really tunes, find yeah. any that, that really clearly predated what was going on in New York at the time. Yeah, Rocker from like, the Tombs. Even like Rocker from the Tombs was like 74, 75, same, same time as the beginning of the Ramones. Yeah, and they never really, rec- they never recorded anything at the time. Yeah, right? they got like, some live stuff out. Like I, I, I found a, a decent sounding live version of uh, Sonic Reducer. But man, is the one the Dead Boys do a lot better. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 definitely. Well, I mean, like, yeah, there's about three or four songs. Yet. I think there's like, like three or four songs off that first Dead Boys record yeah. that were uh, from the Tomb song. Ain't, ain't it fun? Yeah, it's actually on the second Dead Boys album. Which yeah, it's very slow, right? When Rocket from the Tombs yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. Well, but they both both. I mean, it's both slow. But I mean, it's it's. Like I said, like Sonic Reducer, like the guitar part's coming along. Like it's got, like you can hear the main chunks of the riff, but it was like instead of like where it would go to a minor key, it was kind of go to a happier place and it just wasn't. And maybe if you'd heard that one first, you'd feel different about it, but knowing the classic Dead Boys version, it just was not not doing much for me. Yeah, I mean, Rocket from the Tombs, right? So the, yeah, uh, Cheetah Chrome and Stiv obviously went to the Dead Boys, and then the other two guys went to uh, Perubu, I believe, right? Who were. Yeah, not punk rock per se, but they were certainly of that of that I mean, time. Cool, cool song, you know, like a song like a Final Solution holds up pretty well. It's yeah, yeah, good, yeah, yeah. Cool jams. They put out a lot of records. I I can only pretend to know a little bit of it. 
And then, of course, we also had Devo, right? I mean, yeah, they, yeah from Akron, um, yeah. doing their own thing. And, uh, you know, and I don't want to forget this, too. So, you yeah, we... was an signing of Stiff Records, Neil. I just kind of uh, was Googling Stiff Records, the Damned, and Devo were ones that jumped out. Pogues. Yeah, yeah, it's been stiff. Yeah, I mean, like I said, formed during the punk, uh, pub rock times. Oh, Costello. Yep. Nick yeah. Lowe. The yeah. adverts, the adverts first two singles were on stiff. <laughs> I mean, stiff were like the biggest independent label of the of like seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, probably. You know, um, so again, formed because of the pub rock thing, because none of the <laughs> ma- none of the major labels saw anything in any of those bands. So uh, you know. It was important. It was important at the time, even though Johnny Rotten said they were a bunch of long-haired know-nothings or whatever he said. You know, Johnny said a lot of stupid things. He did. That's why I love him. <laughs> no, it's actually interesting because Johnny was actually more into... So there was a lot of German experimental bands in the late 70s. Mm. Well, mid-70s, 74, 75. Like Can and uh, Tangerine Dream and mm. uh, obviously Kraftwerk, right? So Johnny was more into some of that stuff than he was into any of the American or... English sure stuff was. at the time. Well, that's what he says anyway, right? So, Was he into their adult films too? Because holy cow. What do you mean? <laughs> Nothing. Germans well, do everything a little different. Oh, I thought you meant Kraftwerk put out some adult films. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, uh, I, I, Kraftwerk's a band that I appreciate the influence that they've had on popular music. I understand that they were influential. I understand that they appeal to a certain audience, and I am not in that audience. Oh, see, I do. I love I love Kraftwerk. That that whole some of that early sparse i mean because they invented that i love genre, a lot of the basically. bands the influence i just cannot get into it i mean i listen to some of that stuff and i don't know it just takes me to a different place it's interesting and there's like the 25 minute version of autobahn yeah <laughs> sign me up <laughs> all right so anyway so yeah so i think what you've covered i think the american stuff a lot more m- musically more than anything yeah. else the british stuff a lot more image wise yeah. and where the industry was going to go um but meld all these things together man and you had the potent um ingredients that were to become punk rock and you can see in england from the pub rock scene from the from the labels to the venues and stuff like that it was ready made because if the punk rock bands had nowhere to play then no labels to record we it might never have happened right so it was very important what was what was happening there and the same for new york really right i mean i mean uh the american stuff all the Detroit bands and everything they were doing. Yeah, so. Detroit, New York. And, you know, it's funny because even, like, L.A. obviously had a real early punk scene, too, but there was no – I don't know the bands that were – like, I know the Screamers and there were some other, like, kind of bands that never really recorded properly, but I don't really know that stuff too well, so. Yeah, the Weirdos and stuff like that. Yeah, there was a, there was a but yeah, few, like, but – Weirdos, yeah. 76, 77. There was, you know, the Avengers. There was, there was a lot of early – it was that same year, 77, you know, the kind of ground zero year, 76, 77. Yeah, and I'm sure there were some bands in 74, 75 who were doing weird stuff too, but when you, when you think of California... If they, if they didn't get recorded and Jello Biafra didn't tell us they were any good, we never heard them. Well, when you think of California, 74, 75, it really is like Grateful Dead and shit like that, right? That's what you would think of. Just Yeah, yes. or like Beach Boy stuff, bad Beach Boy later on stuff, right? That's what you would yeah. think of, that... So yeah, maybe yeah, California had nothing to do with it. We needed we needed urban. That's why you got the Detroit stuff, right? Rock. Yeah, yeah. You, you need the urban stuff. So 
Well, anyway, hopefully, what, hopefully you, know you guys have been interested in this. I've, I found it interesting, you know, doing this. We so. talked a lot longer than I anticipated we would, honestly. We had, uh, uh, there was actually a couple other things I wanted to get into, but they're just simply going to have to wait till next time because we got a couple good letters, and I and one of them was not critical of us, but I think made some interesting points. So we will definitely try to get into that next time. And um, there was one other cancel culture event this week I wanted to kind of talk to you about, but we're going we're gonna to wait on that, and maybe we won't even get into it. It was not in our scene, more much less so than Marilyn Manson, which is also not in our scene. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, if I know we're obviously we didn't try to get ex- ex- exhaustive, you know, we didn't try to cover every single thing you could cover, and neither of us are experts on it. So, but you know, tell us what we missed. If there's some great proto punk stuff, you know, I thought about trying to get into like the 13th floor elevator and stuff like that, but I'm like, eh, I'm a little too much. Well, I think you. I think you were gonna yell at me. Oh, yeah, because I mean, yeah. If you wanted to go back, we could go back. Oh no, I didn't. I just, I just, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna yell at you. I was just wanted to point out the sort of obviousness of, you know, how artsy fartsy most of the British, you know, the British stuff was. Well, it was a, it was a lot more image based as well. Yeah, for sure. But but yeah, the British punk scene was a lot more image based than the American scene, right? So it is interesting how that. How that yeah. happened? Yeah. Uh, so obviously, we're we're you know the fact of the matter is we our own personal preferences come into it because like for me I love the early Alice Cooper and as much as I'm okay with the Velvet Underground I think they're kind of pretentious douches too. <laughs> um, I know you're more of a Velvet Underground fan than you are Alice Cooper fan, so I know there was you know I, I got the feeling you'd rather play a Velvet Underground song, but you know that's the breaks. See if I was jo- if I was John right now, I'd play us out with a 17 minute version of heroin. <laughs> But I won't do that to anybody. Said ultimately, we're you know we we are to a certain extent slaves to our own preferences. So anyway, well of course, but I think we're giving people a a, a good you know a good thing of what we're talking about. A nice variety, as much as you can expect over the course of what's going to probably be damn near two hours by the time it's all said and done. No, it's only a minute. It's only a minute, an hour thirty right now. But and 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 I think and I don't want people writing in saying, oh, how what about the who? What about the Kinks or something? Because if you want to trace it all the way back, yeah, you could go back like you said to Chuck Berry. So we kept it like in. You know, within what, a monster, yeah, within yeah. a generation, yeah. What yeah. the what the punk bands exactly. were actually listening to, you know. Exactly. I would make that argument that the Who were probably more influential, and the Kinks, the Kinks guitar sound for sure. But I think you could make the you know that the the argument that the Who were probably more influential to punk rock than Bowie, but it's another generation removed. You know, then you're going back to what the real early '60s. You know, so yeah, well, exactly. Then and if you're doing that, you could go back to Chuck Berry. You know, with Elvis much. and stuff, so we could never end the show. Then you know, yeah, yeah Elvis, <laughs> and yeah, and uh, you know, those other early like rockabilly guys before it was even rockabilly, when it was just like a revved up country or whatever. <laughs> so, an, an old guy in a field playing an acoustic guitar, yes. yelling at punk, himself. Yeah. Punk till I die seventy seven at Gmail. Yeah, we've been getting some good emails. Keep them coming. We've been getting some good ones and, recently. And I, I want to discuss the email situation. Like I said, but we'll do that next time. Also, you know, come, you know, write in and tell us how disgusted you are about Neil approving of uh, racism, uh, sexual assault. And what was the other vile thing? You're hey, the racism in? thing was you, man. That wasn't me. That was you're right. That was just a cheap like February joke. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's it's funny. I actually I think we I'm hoping later in the month we can actually do a little acknowledgement of Black History Month. Obviously, there's not a ton of black folks involved with punk rock, but there are some and some very interesting ones at that. So we'll see what we can do on that. Racist. Might be might be twenty twenty two by the time we get that lined up, but we'll yeah, right, that. yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, or of course, uh, Punk Till I Die podcast on Facebook. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks yeah. for your, thanks for your patience. I hope you enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't know if I would enjoy doing this particular episode, but I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. So Yeah, I enjoyed it too, because uh, I think we gave very different um, like ideas on, on, the, on this proto-punk thing. I think it worked out really well. Um, I'm actually going to play us out with something. Yeah. If that's okay, I'm going to play us out with Dandy and the Underworld, which was Mark Boland's last, uh, T-Rex's last single before he died. And it talks about him and punk rock, Dandy and the Underworld, right? So um, I'll Which play us out with that. Leave a little mark on their ears. Huh? Leave a little mark on their ears. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. A little mark in your heart and some skid marks in your pants. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, see you all next time. Are you done, Tom? Do you have anything else to say yeah, to the no, folks? I don't think there's any way to follow that up. <laughs> all right. All right. See you all next time. Stay free. Keep a little mark in your heart. And say goodbye. Say goodbye, Tom. Smile later. Yep. Smile later. Bye.
Yeah.